Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the official Redbird Ranch Podcast, episode 35. Um, I am joined tonight by three contributors. I have, first, Dr. Miles, our editor. Dr. Miles, how are you this evening? Doing great. Nice to be here, and you know I'd love to be a contributor on these, and not have to host, but thank you so much, Josh. And I'm um, also joined by uh, Dan. Uh, Dan, how are you doing this evening? Doing great, guys. Happy to be here. Happy to be back on the podcast. Yeah, you know, I've been gone for a little while, so it's really nice to be back. Um, and Ryan is also joining us tonight. Ryan, how are you doing this evening? Speaking of people that have been gone off the podcast for a while, I am also happy to be back for my first in, I believe, four weeks. So let's do this. Yeah, you know, the season's over, but that just means the front office is going to be busy. And let's just start with, you know, around the league. Um, There's been a lot that's been going on, and a lot of it's been pretty shocking. I just want to start off with three managers being fired over the last couple weeks of playoff teams. You got John Farrell of the Red Sox, Dusty Baker of the Nationals, and Joe Girardi fired today by the New York Yankees. These are all teams that won 90-plus games this year, made the playoffs, and in Joe Girardi's case, was a game away from the World Series. What's the initial reaction, Dr. Miles? Well, you know, I'm glad that we're talking about the Girardi stuff first because earlier tonight I was listening to MLB Radio, and they talked about the Girardi stuff as well, and – What's striking about his dismissal, if you will, because it's not really a firing. He was at the end of his contract, and it's just a decision by the the organization to not re-up, to not renew. And that comes on the heels of the fact that the organization wanted to go in a different direction. They wanted to go with somebody different. They have a couple of names internally that I know that they're looking at, and um, – it, it seems to me like that's the approach that they were willing to take. And it, with that in mind, they wanted someone who potentially, as MLB Network Radio was talking about, had a, a little stronger of a human touch that they felt like Girardi did not. Um, and, and so with that in mind, I, I Girardi, they were commenting, and, and, and from the things that he had said, it seems like he wasn't altogether surprised by it. Yeah, I, you know, I I was not terribly surprised because I think Joe Girardi's been kind of on the cusp of being moved for the last couple of years. It just felt odd that you would take someone who's been so successful uh, and is now on his way out and jobless. Um, 
but same can be said for the other two. Dan, what's your initial reaction to the three managers that have been uh, replaced over the last couple of weeks? All right. Well, my initial reaction to all of this is I since uh since the baseball season's been over, I have in my off season I watch a lot of international soccer. And in the international soccer um world slash lexicon, it is absolutely ruthless. They fire managers like nobody's business. If a club has a poor half season, that manager is gone without a second thought. And so one of my biggest criticisms of that approach has always been, oh, well, there's no patience. But the thought over there is, if you're not winning, what's the point of keeping you around? Teams always want to be winning. And so I think that's the approach that's happening at this level, is teams are making the playoffs. Managers are doing things that in the past could have been acceptable, John Farrell has won 93 games the past two seasons. He has a World Series in 2013 on his ledger, but he hasn't gotten past the first round of the playoffs the past two seasons that he's had 93-win teams. Same with Dusty Baker. And now Joe Girardi goes to the ALCS, and all three of those teams say, eh, we think we can do better, which draws me back to another point. The Cardinals seem to be okay with Mike Matheny gradually running this team into the ground while other teams out there have managers leading them to 93, 94, 95 win seasons. In the case of Joe Girardi, an American League Championship Series, and their front offices are still going, yeah, we can do better. Yeah, I I completely agree with you, and I think we'll slide right into that next once. uh, Dan, what's your opinion on the three managers who are out of jobs? Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, I, I like a couple of the points Ryan was making in particular uh, about Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi's the shocking one, right? I mean, his credentials over the last 10 years, which, by the way, shocked me that he's been with the Yankees managing for 10 years. I hadn't realized that 10 years of my life had gone by because I remember when that news broke. He He did a really good job. And, by the way, let's not forget, I don't think anybody, the Yankees, would be there this season. I mean, I I thought he was a candidate for manager of the year. Now, for whatever reason, he's not super liked in New York, I guess, but I I don't really know the reason. The the easier ones to explain for me are the Dusty Baker and John Farrell firing. I mean, talk about the absolute most talent you could possibly have. And that's what Dusty Baker is given every time he manages, and he doesn't do anything with it except run it into the ground. He is one of the worst managers of all time, and it it is not clear how he keeps getting jobs. It's like it takes two years with with a locked and loaded team being eliminated first or second round of the playoffs for people to realize, oh, Dusty Baker is not really a good manager. It's it's just public outcry for him to start Strasburg after the rainout, when he was on regular rest, it, it, it took like a national crisis for him to even consider starting the best pitcher on the team, given that Scherzer wasn't that healthy. And then John Farrell, another guy with an uber-talented team, it, whenever you have a team with that much skill at, 
of your position players and money in your pitching staff, you've got to basically win in the playoffs. You can't just sneak in and, and then not perform in the playoffs. So I, I understand those two firings. I think we're getting a lot of feedback again. Yeah, you know, the, the firing, while shocking, they do speak to the levels that these team front offices and management owners are setting themselves up for. They don't want to be a team that is a playoff team and then an out. They're trying to win the World Series games. And what you're not seeing from these teams is is that success. So, yeah, these guys are fired. Makes some sense. But I want to lead this into what Ryan was saying earlier. Um, the St. Louis Cardinals have missed the playoff the last two years. So it's hard to say that they hold themselves to the same standard because – they haven't been in the playoffs the last two years. They haven't won 90 games the last two years. But Mike Matheny is continuing to have a job. And what is the reasoning there? Where, what standard is this historically great team holding themselves to? Dr. Miles, what's your opinion? Well, I, I think what we're seeing in the moves that the Cardinals have made the most recent days, and I know we're going to talk more about that as we move ahead, I think what we're seeing is when the Cardinals initially looked out at the market of potential managerial replacements to Mike Matheny, they didn't look at a Girardi being out there. They they weren't really comfortable with a Farrell coming in. I don't know that I agree with them, but when they looked at those things, what they saw was they had a manager in hand that they owe money to, that if they replaced him, they would have to continue to pay out that contract. So if that's the case, from a business standpoint, albeit maybe not the right choice in a business standpoint, maybe not the best choice, but they're saying let's hold on to the contract we have but let's now replace the people around him to bolster those people to be better. Now, if, if we go with that mentality, then the flaw in that thinking shows itself very prominently in the, in the body of John Mabry. If we look at who's been replaced, okay, so we have replaced the pitching coach with a new one who brings an incredible amount of experience, and I, and I, and I know we'll talk about it more later. We see uh, the return of the secret weapon, uh, and we we all gnashed teeth last year, last year being 2017, about the horrid base running um, and and some of the strange fielding mechanics that we watched the Cardinals undertake that we know that the secret weapon had a lot to do with the coaching of a lot of the infield, so on, so on. We're seeing that return, and then we get this little carrot of a piece in an old veteran, powerful, great, wonderful, speedy outfielder to come back, and yet we don't know in what capacity. We're not really given a title yet on that one. So all of these moves say to me very loudly, 
we as an organization looked elsewhere. We didn't see someone we wanted to replace Matheny with that we were comfortable with paying Matheny and paying someone new. And instead, what we are going to do is make the supporting character strong enough to carry the load to cover up for any ineptitude that exists at the manager position. Again, I don't know that that's the right choice necessarily, but it's the choice they made. And having, I do have to tell you that I think that the names they picked up, the names who are coming back, the names who are sliding up, like the Mike Schilt, who's moving into the bench coach role now, which puts him directly in line to be manager for, I actually just wrote this sentence today. You know, Mike Schilt is sitting in the bench coach position now where he can be the manager when Matheny is ejected, either from a game or from the Cardinals organization. And so those things have set a ball in motion that Matheny can hold on to his job. The Cardinals don't have to encumber any more money at the managerial position. And they pick up some pretty powerful supporting characters. You know, I think the not paying the fee and another coach kind of correlates into what fans have been kind of saying about the team over the last couple of years is that they're kind of cheap. Um, you can you see that until this past year when they decided to really make a play for Brett Cecil and Dexter Fowler, but they were losing out to guys back-to-back years and, and Jason Hayward, David Price, guys like that coming in second because of the money. So it's interesting that that's, that's kind of the way you went with it because I think it kind of continues to play into that storyline that the Cardinals will spend money, but not the money to be as successful as it could be. Uh, Dan, what do you think about the Cardinals continuing to stick with Matheny after the last two years when we see other teams that have been more successful moving on from their managers? Well, I'll tell you what it tells me is not much about Matheny. What it tells me is the faith that Mozeliak and company had in the Cardinals the last two years and the roster that, that he constructed. They're clearly not using Matheny as a scapegoat. They're not blaming him. It's like, it's like an implicit admission that he didn't have adequate materials to work with. To me, if you think about a logical explanation, if you see two years of missing the playoffs and the manager is not the person taking the heat, especially in this climate, you have to ask yourself, well, what's another explanation for why the manager is not taking the heat? And the the thing that comes to mind to me is the manager's boss doesn't think it was his fault. Mozeliak doesn't blame Matheny. He doesn't think it was his problem. He thought it was personnel, players underachieving, injuries, and the surrounding coaching staff not being up to snuff. And so what you're seeing this year, what I think what we're setting up for, and this plays in a little bit to what Doc just said, is there aren't going to be any more excuses. The Cardinals, we hope, are going to shake up the roster in positive ways by you know, adding the bullpen pieces, maybe a starter, a middle-of-the-order bat we've heard so much about, 
And they've already shaken up the coaching staff by giving him every asset such that there's no one to blame except for the guy who has to be accountable next year, and that's Matheny himself. So my theory is that all of these things that are going to happen over the next four or five months are going to make it impossible, impossible to blame anyone but Matheny because he's going to have absolutely everything he needs to win. And if he wins, he'll stay. And if he doesn't, I think he'll be out after next year. That's just what I see. I think your point is actually really interesting, and it's it's kind of something everyone, I think, should take a look at Mike Matheny's kind of record that he's had since he's made his way into the managerial role. When you were talking about him not having the success on the team, the players, you know, production, you can see a steady decline as the roster changed because Tony left after we won the World Series. The next year – this team goes to the World Series, loses, goes to the NLCS, loses, goes to the NLDS, loses, misses the playoffs, gets second and second in the division. Then the next year, this year, misses the playoffs, gets third. So the, it's a really interesting trajectory, and I think it does have a lot to do with the team that he's surrounded with. I think it's a really good point. Uh, Ryan, I want to get your thoughts on uh, what we've been talking about. Well, my dad and I were talking about this yesterday, and he mentioned the point that uh, the point that everyone is saying is that the organization has been doing great work to surround Matheny with a bunch of coaches that will make him better. That was the that was the key phrase he used. Coaches surrounding Mike Matheny will make him better, and I think that phrase and that idea right there is exactly everything wrong with Mike Matheny. John Mozeliak over the past few years has done several things to Matheny-proof this team, trading Joe Kelly and Alan Craig so that Tavares could play back in 2014. By the way, this is the three-year anniversary of his death, so please don't drive drunk tonight, PSA. Um, Also, trading John Jay so that they could clear up center field for a more athletic, more conducive player there. John Mozeliak has Matheny-proofed the team, and now he's Matheny-proofing the coaching staff. And the fact that you have to do that for a manager that's been in your club for six years and has yet to truly get over that hump is everything wrong with Mike Matheny in my eyes. So I absolutely agree with everything that's been said. This is the last straw for him. If he can't win now, he will never be able to win. But the fact that we're here is just stupid to me. Yeah, you know, i got to agree. Um, it's hard to – look at what this team has done and not think, like, yeah, this is being Matheny-proof. Because from what I've read and what I've heard, they're going to give more autonomy to Mike Maddox as the pitching coach, which I think is a great idea. Because in turn, that could make Matheny look really good if there's actually some good choices coming out of the bullpen. So let's just move into the Cardinals acquisition. Because the last week there's been a lot of news Jose Okendo's coming back from Florida. Willie McGee is joining joining the coaching staff in a role that I don't believe has been defined yet. And the news of the day, the Cardinals get Mike Maddox, who had just been recently, let's call it, let go from the Nationals. But from what I understand, they wanted him back. He's now the bull, He's now in charge of the pitching staff, and that's 
that's huge to me because I think that's by far the best option next to Jim Hickey, who seemed to be kind of unlikely. So, Dr. Miles, which move actually excites you the most? And just overall, what's your opinion of the new addition? Oh, man, that's a tough question on which one excites me the most. Uh, honestly, I think the package of them all together excites me the most. The the idea that, and, and I think we all touched on this in responding to the last question, even you, Josh, when you were talking about the trajectory of the team, the thing that's really exciting here, each one of these moves represents a different energy that the club is, is undertaking. And just looking at them in order, so we, we found out that Okendo was returning at the same time that we found out Willie McGee was coming in in some special role yet to be delineated, if you will. And, and instantly, the Twitterverse, Cardinal Nation, it all goes through the roof with excitement because we've all missed Okendo in the time that he's been gone. We've all missed his presence. And there was just there's a calming sense to having him around. Where, where Matheny tries to manufacture that calming sense through his stoicism, what he instead gives us is boredom and a wet noodle. And Okendo gives us that calming sense from, I know more about baseball than you do, but I don't have to tell you I know more about it. And then we add in this really exciting piece that Willie McGee is going to bring. And mind you, McGee has never been on the coaching staff, but he has certainly been serving as a special assistant to the general manager. He appears almost regularly every season during spring training. He is the go-to guru for outfielders. He is the man that can get a person to go. I mean, let's be honest, guys. I couldn't play outfield when I played baseball. I, I couldn't catch a fly ball. But I promise you, if I spent half of the spring training with Willie McGee, I could probably run some pretty darn good routes to pick up those balls. I'm not saying I'd catch them. But that's just my fault, my, my failing, not Willie McGee. And so we have those two pieces of energy. Then you get to this where we had sat for so long with the silence that the Cardinals had released Liliquist, and, and we're also searching, by the way, for a bullpen uh, pitching coach who Brian Eversgard is going to be serving as that, a former pitcher for the Cardinals, the pitching coach down in AAA Memphis, who, by the way, has had his hand in the development of players like Luke Weaver and Jack Flaherty and Dakota Hudson, and, and such a natural thing for him to climb up in the ranks and become the bullpen coach for the St. Louis Cardinals, because this season, I think, is going to be paramount for that role, if for none other, because he, that role is going to have to manufacture and work with the Jack Flaherty, the Alex Reyes, uh, when they're out in the bullpen, the Dakota Hudson, who by all parts should be in the Cardinals' bullpen this season. So that's pretty exciting, too, and that's one of those that got lost uh, in today's news. But I was really excited really excited about the Mike Maddox because of the degree and depth of his knowledge and his experience. I, in writing the news piece today that I published after the news broke of the hiring of Maddox, the thing that really left off the page for me when I was doing the research on it was just the depth of his experience. He pitched for 15 seasons as a player 
and left with a 15-season career ERA of just over four. That's like a 4.05, I believe, was his ERA exactly. Just over four. And in 15 seasons, you have to tip your cap to that. That is really great. Now, in truth, if that were one season at just over four, we're probably not really singing a whole lot of praises. But that's 15 seasons. Then he brings to us just the incredible depth of pitching coach experience where he's worked with the likes of C.C. Sabathia and C.J. Wilson and, and Strasburg and Scherzer. And, and, hey, by the way, I actually saw this on Twitter, too. There's some little rumblings of rumor down there because, remember, Scherzer is a St. Louis guy uh, from St. Louis, has looked at pitching for St. Louis before. Could we potentially see uh, him actually – taking both of his two different colored eyes and then taking a good look at St. Louis now that Maddox is there. Just a thought. So to answer your question, I know I went about it a very long way, but I'm excited about them all as a package. I would be even more excited by it, and then I'm going to let you have somebody else have have the floor, but I would be even more excited about it if we get news that Mabry is gone. And that really says something for, for me because I'm the huge uh, Muck Fathini guy. I'm the one who says it's time for Fathini to go. been saying that for a long time. And, and I'm okay now with him staying with these supporting pieces. I'd be even more okay if we had a strong representative as the hitting coach. Yeah, you, you just, as you stated, I think it's, definitely an underrated and kind of overlooked move is the addition of the new bullpen coach, because this is a guy who has already worked with and had success with these young studs who are seeing. And I think that's something that definitely cannot be overlooked, but Dan, same question goes to you. Is there a piece that we've added that you're most excited about and what's your kind of take on the group as a whole? Yeah, great question. First, let me just say, Doc, that that's a total cop-out. You can't pick the group as a whole when you're asked to pick one. You can't do that. Um, so, so that's copping out on don't, the question. Don't so give ding me the point. side of things. I'm, I'm going with the hard side of things over here, not the legal fair side. Enough. All right, fair enough. Um, you know, i got to be honest with you. This is not going to be a popular opinion, but the only move that excites me is Eversgard. And that's the only addition that excites me. Now, I, I, like, I like the Okendo move a lot. It, just, it seems like it just w- was preordained that we had to get him back. So I like that move. It doesn't excite me. I kind of expected him to come back. It was a necessary PR move with all of the disastrous fielding and base running errors this last year. So, you know, I guess that's my 1B. But my 1A is Eversgard. Uh, I'm not going to repeat everything everybody said, but there are going to be a lot of stud young starters from AAA that are going to be transitioning into a bullpen role. I think, Ryan, you know, you've mentioned Sandy Alcantara uh, throwing, you know, a billion miles an hour out of the bullpen next year as a good option as opposed to some of these free agent guys. I think it's a good point, and having their pitching coach that they're familiar with from AAA is going to be critical to – transitioning to the bullpen and having a successful role in the major leagues. I'll just explain briefly why the other moves don't excite me. I don't really understand the excitement for the Mike Maddox move. I understand that he's been a pitching coach for a long, 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 long time, 
But again, he's one of those guys who sort of had a mountain to work with. Like what you can only do so bad whenever you're the pitching coach of CC Sabathia in his prime on a historic run for the Brewers that no one's ever seen before. I mean, you can only do so bad whenever you have Strasburg and Scherzer running out there for 40% of your starts. So, you know, I, yeah, I could give other examples, but I see Maddox, when you read his interviews, first of all, he's not even the Maddox I would want. I think everybody would agree with that. What if we, what if we signed Greg Maddox, who's largely considered to be one of the smartest pitchers to ever play and probably would be a good coach because he can explain what he what his craft was so well if you listen to the guy talk we didn't even get the best Maddox so I don't really understand the excitement you know you read Maddox's interviews and his his pitching strategy and his approach is very similar to Lilliquist maybe maybe he's better at it but is he how much better at it is he than Lilliquist was because I don't think Lilliquist did a bad job last year I think he was a scapegoat that uh, what I'm hearing is most people think Matheny should have been, which I get, you know. So I don't understand the, the excitement about Maddox. I also don't really understand the excitement about the hiring of McGee. I love Willie McGee. I know everybody does. But think about the type of player he was. He, he's a very soft-spoken, like, lead-by-example type of guy. Well, it's hard to lead by example when you're not playing anymore. And I understand that he's taken a good a special assistant role, which is like the, the retirement gig for former stud players now. But we don't even know what his role is going to be, and, and he doesn't, based on his uh, phone call with the Post-Dispatch. I don't know if you guys read that. But, yeah, I'm just going to kind of help out wherever. What are you going to be doing? You know, I, you're going to be helping out with hitting. You're going to help be helping out with outfield and base running. Are you going to do everything? You know, his role is going to be redundant, I think. So it's going to take some time for him to add value and, and develop from that role. So yeah, I'm not super excited about any of them except for Eversgar, but I, I, I recognize why that's not a popular opinion. But that's, those are my thoughts. Hey, Josh, can I jump in? I want to actually tag on to some of the things that, that Dan just very eloquently said. And, and Dan, I, I, mean, I mean that comment. I think that you you really hit the nail on the head on, on some of those things. And, and also, I think that by, by you saying those things, it, it highlighted a couple of things for me. And here, here they are. First, I want to talk about the William McGee stuff. And you said that you aren't really excited about it because – his role is sort of to do everything. Well, I read that too. And what that, and I agree with you, by the way, but my point in, in looking at that was, I think that the list that he gave in that interview says more about the ineptitude of Mike Matheny than it has to do with the role that Willie McGee is going to play. Because he said in that interview, I'm going to come and I'm going to help with the outfielders. Great. That means Matheny doesn't know what he's doing with the outfield. He says, I'm going to help with base running. Great. That says that Matheny and the guys who were with him last season, being 2017, they didn't really know what they were doing with base running. Great. I'm going to help out with positioning. Wonderful. That says to me that Matheny and his squad did not really have a good grasp on that. Okay. So, so that, those things stand out to me. Now, the other side of it is when you talk about – um, 
you know, the, the PR move, the Okendo stuff, 100%, my friend. I, I am with you. The Everscard stuff, I'm with you. The Maddox piece, I'm completely in agreement with you that Lilliquist was the scapegoat, that, yes, Matheny should have been it. But we heard that little wrinkle today that the bullpen decisions are going to go back to the pitching coach in Maddox. That said to me that Matheny did not trust Lilliquist, did not let him do his job, but he has respect and trust for Maddox. And so that's why those things stood out to me. So, Doc, what's Matheny going to do? That's, that's what the question is then. Stays out of the way. Um, and, and then the organization realizes that his staying out of the way is what allowed success. Um, and I think that we were talking about that earlier and that the organization has now set Matheny up that this you, it's either perform or don't. And that's, by the way, what the Nationals had said to Dusty Baker. I'm going to go ahead and let uh, Ryan get in on this conversation. Ryan, uh, same question goes to you, but, hey, feel free to expand on it. I think the one hiring that really excited me was Okendo. I think doc, Dr. Miles has made several really good points tonight. One of them was about Jose Okendo giving off that sort of calming presence that I know what I'm doing here, which often Mike kind of fronts, but I watch him and I go, you, you're shooting from the hip right now, and that just makes me nervous, whereas Okendo seems to be fully and completely in control. Uh, another interesting point that I thought he made was the idea that Willie McGee coming on and saying, well, I'm going to do base running, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. On my college team right now, we brought in Tim Raines Jr. a couple weekends ago to work to help us work on base running and outfield defense because our two coaches right now are both pitching centric and that's their deal. And so they freely admit, Hey, I'm not a base running guy. I'm not an outfield defense guy. So we brought in somebody who is specifically, who specifically knows how to do that. And he worked with us for a weekend on that. And so, while I think, uh, might have been Dan earlier, I'm not sure who it was, mentioned that Willie McGee, that doesn't necessarily excite them. I think it's an extremely important thing to have, to have somebody like that come in and be able to just answer all the questions that Mike Matheny and the other guys can't answer. John Mabry wasn't an outfielder. Okendo wasn't an outfielder. Matheny wasn't an outfielder. So for maybe a Randall Gritchick or a Tommy Pham, they now have a guy that they can relate to on the roster that can answer their questions specifically and that can maybe make them 5% better. And that is so important in, this, in the scale of this team overall. I think that's a great point. I mean, take it from someone who's experiencing that sort of thing. I mean, Good for you. You got to hang out with Tim Raines Jr. Not, not all of us are afforded these opportunities, Ryan. But I'm going to go ahead and take a quick break because we've talked a lot and haven't had an opportunity uh, to do so. So stick with us. This is the official Redbird Rants podcast. 
All right, and we're back. Thank you for listening to the official Redbird Rants podcast, episode number 35. Guys, clearly this podcast has had a very one-sided conversation with managerial conversations because that's what's going on right now. It's the off season. There's not a whole lot for us to talk about until after the World Series when players start to move. So I'm going to just try and move away from the specifics of the coaching staff, but to talk a little bit about what you expect from this team, you know, going forward. Now, this is barring any changes, but what do you think that, you know, this team's plan is for the rest of the offseason? We've seen, well, they're going to go for an impact bat. They're going to go for a bullpen piece. I saw a report today that said, they're they're also looking at a top line starter such as a U Darvish or a Jake Arrieta. So, Dan, what are your opinions of what the Cardinals are going to do the rest of this offseason? I I do not think the Cardinals will sign what we're dubbing as sort of the top of the line starters. I don't think they're going to pull the trigger on a Darvish or Arietta And you know, I don't really I don't really blame them. I don't I don't mind them not doing that with. With our staff that's coming in, I think it's pretty stacked. Um, so I think they'll find a mid-level starter, if anybody, to eat up some innings. Uh, and I've, I've said Chris Tillman in the past might be a fit for that role. Um, I have a lot of trouble believing we're going to add a middle-of-the-order bat. Um, and, and if we do, I just feel like it's going to be a disappointment. Um, either we'll massively overpay in terms of prospects, or we're going to get someone like an Eric Hosmer, who I don't really consider a middle-of-the-order bat. Um, so, you know, if it's not like a Donaldson, Machado, Stanton type, then I don't really know how much it's going to transform this lineup. I mean, maybe there are, are some degrees of guys who, who could get it done. What I think is clear is that a few years ago when we might have had the opportunity to trade for like a Charlie Blackman or do one of the deals with the Rockies, we probably should have done that. But uh, I, what I think the activity is going to be, and I, I've got a piece that's coming out on this pretty soon, uh, is in the relief market. You know, this team always talks about how much money they have to spend, and they hate giving up prospects. Well, I, I've got some good news for the team they can spend a lot of money and not give up many or any prospects on uh, three or four relievers. And there are a lot of good ones on the market. You know, I, I, I think they should re-sign Nicasio to what I think consensus here at Redbird Rants is maybe a two-year, $20 million deal or so. And I, I think they should make a run at Holland and Davis and, you know, maybe one of Reed and Brandon Morrow too. Then, then you keep – your best relievers from last year. You keep Cecil because of the contract. You keep Lyons because of the performance. You keep Brebbia or Alcantara, one or the other, up in the majors, and you keep Bowman, and then you add the four free agents, uh, you know, one of which is resigning Nicasio. The team can totally afford to do that. Uh, by my math, even on the outside stretch, it's going to cost like 130 to $140 million to sign all four of them, and that's being pretty generous with the contract. So, you know, that's the cost of one Darvish or Arietta. If you assume that Darvish or Arietta can get 120 to $160 million, 
and you can get four late-inning relievers for that amount, you know, uh, give me the four relievers for that amount, and if everything crumbles next year, then we can trade those guys, a la the Yankees dealing Aroldis Chapman to the Cubs for a ton of prospects, and Andrew Miller to the Indians for a ton of prospects. We could do that approach. And the other benefit that that approach has, which I think is a wise one, is it shortens the game. And we hear a lot about shortening the game, and the Cardinals uh, haven't really done that since Tony La Russa in the playoffs uh, in 2011. But they could really shorten the game, and that's important this next year because of the amount of reliance we're going to put on young starters who haven't had heavy workloads before or who are coming off of major injuries. So shortening the game is going to be critical, and I think some of these more veteran relievers in their late 20s and their early 30s would really be a good investment, a good way to spend just dollars. And if the team is serious about getting that middle-of-the-order bat, then none of the prospects will have been used on pitching. And any prospects that need to be used in a deal can be used just to focus on a really high-quality number three hitter. I'm, um, I'm of the opinion that I do think that they – make some big moves this year what those are i'm not sure but i wrote a piece about it last week i think about you know the real prize being in 2018 free agency where manny machado should be sitting i i think that that would be the game-changing addition for this team because he brings gold glove defense mvp caliber bat and he brings that brand that the cardinals really don't have right now now, they could get that in a Giancarlo stand if that was a realistic option, but that's kind of where my focus is. But if I think I think that if they do have things that are rumored this year, that's going to be unlikely because I think that they're going to spend a lot of money if, if things turn out the way that they've kind of talked about. But, Ryan, what's your opinion on the Cardinals' uh, offseason going forward? I am about to – I think tomorrow morning I'm having a piece that will come out on – I did five under-the-radar impact back candidates that I outlined. I have five under-the-radar closer candidates. This current free agent uh, relief pitching market is very deep through the middle. There are a lot of guys in there that nobody's talking about. Um, For anyone – Listening to this, this is going to spoil my article, but the five names I outline are Jake McGee, Brandon Morrow, Joe Smith, Brian Shaw, and Anthony Swarzak. All of them had above a 1.5 war last year, and all of them are out there to be had for significantly less, I'm predicting, than a Wade Davis or Greg Holland. And I think specifically in the bullpen with all of the young arms coming up that I'm so highly fond of, the Cardinals need to maintain payroll flexibility back there. They tied up a bunch of money in Brett Cecil, and although he he had a mixed bag last year, mostly bad, but a lot of good, that's not what they want to do again this offseason. And with Greg Holland, his agent being Scott Boris, there's going to be a lot of money there. Wade Davis might command somewhere between 70 and $80 million, and that's just not what they need to do back in the bullpen with all these kids coming up. They don't need to block them. So I would like either one, two, three, or all five of 
Smith, Morrow, McGee, Shaw, and Swarzak. As for starters, the one that I have my eyes on, the one starting pitcher I have my eyes on is Alex Cobb. Um, I've always been a big Alex Cobb fan down in Tampa Bay, and he had a real nice year in 2017, an ERA below three. He threw 160, 170 innings. Um, the strikeouts, he had 149 strikeouts, which was a career high. Uh, his best season since 2014. Just had a really nice year, and he could be had on a maybe one- or two-year contract, sort of a prove-it deal before he goes out and hits the open market again. He's only 31. Actually, he's only 30. He'll be entering his age 30 season next year. So I I really like the idea of the Cardinals holding on to their money before 2018 and sort of buying mid-level guys so that they don't sort of box themselves in before the big free agent boom and before their own prospect boom, when all these young players start coming up and tearing through the – through the ranks to reach the major leagues and start impacting things. That That is a great point. The Cardinals do have some youth right now that's going to have to be paid down the road. And if you go all in on a guy like a John Carlos Stanton, you're boxing in yourself with a lot of money. Uh, Dr. Miles, same question to you, sir. Well, let's play a little bit of devil's advocate. What if, they make absolutely no moves and they don't add anybody. Then you have at least some decent players that they have to work with. But now let's say that those players who are already on the roster, who they're working with, who had not the greatest 2017, what if those people now have the advisors in the forms of the Willie McGee and they now have the advisors in the forms of the Jose Okendo. So let's take, and let's just suggest statistically based that we have um, one to two standard deviations that these players can improve. If you do that, you could arguably say that the Cardinals would go from a third place team to at a bare minimum, a second place team. Okay. Well, that's in a perfect world. That's very unlikely to happen. So what we have instead is a promise that the Cardinals organization will do something to add some impact player or players. And I'm with you, Josh. I am so glad you brought up your article because I thought that was really spot on that the, the real prize, the real promise does not come in this off season, but in the following off season. That said, I also like in your piece where you talk about, picking up some guys in the meantime to hold down the fort, if you would, without selling away the farm. And I think that is probably the wisest approach uh, without becoming hyperbolic. That is really the wisest approach to this year's off season. And I I hope they take that approach, but I'm also not going to begrudge them if the Cardinals go out and say, Hey, let's get a a, a Yelich. Let's get an Ozuna. Somebody like that, because that really is a middle, a stopgap, if you will, until a, a big impact. But I'm with you. I, I don't think the Donaldson thing's going to happen. I would love for it to. I don't see that happening. I don't, we pretty well know that Stanton is not going to happen. It would be nice, but you know what? The encumbrance of the finances and the number of years, I, I, I'm not crazy about with him. So, 
all of that to say, I, I, I'm with you, Josh. No, I am all, all, all in on Manny Machado. I don't know if it's a realistic expectation, but I mean, I can't imagine a better option for this team because that realistically he isn't being used at his most valuable position to me in Baltimore because I think thanks to J.J. Hardy, he never really had to be the shortstop there. And I think that you could have had a gold glove defensive shortstop with an MLB MVP bat. So maybe the Cardinals make that move. Maybe they slide him in shortstop, move to Young to a more comfortable position. There's a lot of options there. But unfortunately, we're over a year away from – that potentially coming to fruition and that one along with a few others are go- is going to be an incredibly intense battle and a lot of money is going to be coming out so we got about 10 minutes left um basically where we're at right now is kind of a standstill because we know that the coaching staff is full and nothing can really happen with players until you know the the World Series ends, and we really won't see a lot until closer to the winter meetings. So, just take a couple seconds here. Give me, give me one or two guys that you do not expect to see on this team next season. Ryan, let's start with you. Well, oh boy, oh boy. Let me go ahead and pull up my piece that I wrote a little while back outlining 12 players that I do not believe will be on the opening day roster in 2018. So the top two that I will mention here on this broadcast, on this podcast, uh, Lance Lynn and Zach Duke are the two easiest calls for me. Uh, Lynn, I believe the Cardinals have sort of unintentionally made their intentions known with him. They have not offered him any sort of contract, and reports came out, I think, in spring training and midseason that they weren't even interested in negotiating. So I I am a little sad to see him go just because I love his personality, but that seems like an easy one. And same with O. Uh, The Cardinals are looking to revamp that bullpen, and at 35 years old and coming off a really not good season, I can't see him getting another opportunity. So those are the two easy ones for me. All right, Dan, let's slide over to you. Well, I certainly hope I certainly hope that Greg Garcia is is out of here. And I know Doc is having a heart palpitation, but I'll, I'll tell you, with with the inability to effectively manage the forty man roster, and with a guy like you know Bravik Malera, Malera, uh, you know, maybe prone to roster crunching, there's no way that that young guy who's hitting the minors should be cut while we continue to troll Greg Garcia out there. I mean, the guy's just, he just doesn't impress me that much as a utility infielder. He was a step back from Daniel Descalso, who we just let walk. So, you know, the natural progression is the Cardinals let these utility infielders walk whenever, whenever they're out of options and there's, there's not, they've got another young guy who could jump and fill the void. I'd like to see a Ledmus in that role more than Greg Garcia because he's got way more potential and could maybe step in uh, with the Major League squad after an injury. So I think Greg Garcia should be gone. 
you know, I think like Duke and O are the are the are the easy ones. Um, as is Lynn, I agree with Ryan. I don't think there's a good chance he's gonna be back. But but for my other one, I'm gonna say that uh, that Grichik won't be back. Um, I'd probably oh. stole that from Josh if I had to guess. I love Randall Grichik, and I don't understand the hatred of him. Um, you know, but. I think the team is just totally not sold on him. So with the outfield crunch or glut or whatever you want to call it, I could see, you know, him being a good piece to another team if there were to be a deal. So unfortunately, if I'm making a bold prediction, uh, I would say that, that Randall isn't back next year. Not going to lie. That one hurts me to the core, but I get it. Uh, Dr. Miles, what about you, sir? You know, uh, to respond to Dan, um, I think that Garcia, Greg Garcia, 100% must be off the, the team uh, going into 2018. So, and I can say that without any palpitations, uh, because that's that's the truth, that's the reality, that is the in the best interest of the team, and uh, quite honestly, probably in the best interest of Greg Garcia. Now, having said that, and, and I agree too. Dan, let me say that uh, Bravik Valera, that's a great name of an example of who should fill that role and would do so better than Garcia. And I love, 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 love the idea of Aledmus Diaz being the scrappy guy and coming up and, and filling that role. Um, I agree that Randall Gritchick is going to be gone. Sorry, Josh. I agree that Zach Duke is going to be gone. I agree that O is going to be gone. Um, I have some two two names that I want to float out there that I think have a really good chance of not being on the Cardinals uh, in 2018. And, and these are sort of a stretch out there and a, a little bit of a daring take. But I believe that the likes of Trevor Rosenthal and Jed Jerko have a really strong possibility of playing for someone else in 2018 and being pieces of a deal that nets the Cardinals either a big bat, uh, you know, a stopgap into 2018, or nets them a good starting pitcher um, that can be a, a stopgap for something coming up. So those are my two sort of let me be daring and give you some strong names. Yeah, you know, I did see a, a post today that talked about Trevor Rosenthal potentially being a non-tender candidate because – he's going to be making some decent money in arbitration and while he's injured and insurance cover these sorts of things, that's just kind of money that you don't need to spend. So it makes sense that he could get non-tendered. Of course, he could come back next, the following year after being becoming healthy again and become that dominant guy we were starting to see again. But regardless, you know, tough decisions are going to have to be made. And two of you, said what is basically going to be the toughest for me uh, is the potential of seeing Randall Grichuk on his way out. And I will say that if Randall Grichuk is moved this offseason, expect to see him have a career year wherever he's at because I think he can still be an absolute player at this level. While he's struggled so far, he's young, and I think he has a lot, a lot of potential still if he's put in the right circumstances. So we got right around four minutes left. We just saw an incredible game. I don't know if everyone watched it, but game two of the World Series was 
absolutely amazing. Just an absolutely stunning game. So, to just fill these last couple of minutes, give me your predictions for the rest of the series. Ryan, what about you? I think, oh boy, um, I think that the Dodgers backed themselves into a corner last night and the Astros are going to win the series in six games because of it. One of my main criticisms of Dave Roberts is that he pulls starters that are pitching well too early. And I think he did it last night. Rich Hill gave up all his runs in the first inning and was still pulled after only four innings. There was really no reason to pull him. And because of that, the Dodgers flat out ran out of pitching and had to go into extra innings with only Josh Fields and Brandon McCarthy in their bullpen. Kenley Jansen was working back-to-back days, a five-out save. You just I understand that this is the way the game's moving, but the Dodgers backed themselves into a corner, and I think that that sort of strategy right there is going to bite Dave Roberts on every day where Clayton Kershaw doesn't pitch. And so I think game four is the only game that the Dodgers are going to win from here out. Interesting take. I like it. What about you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, these teams are just so closely matched. To Ryan's point, I think he's only given up one run in those four innings. So I I don't understand Roberts yanking him. The guy was dealing. So I I don't understand that at all. Um, These teams are so closely matched. I think it's got to go seven games. So, uh, you know, I disagree with Ryan in that I think it's going to go seven games. Um, I, I think we're going to see a lot uh, out of you, Darvish. So, uh, you know, I think he's going to be the difference maker outside of Kershaw that pushes this over the hump for the Dodgers. Um, so, you know, I think that Roberts will have his lesson learned from his early hook and use of the bullpen. The Dodgers certainly have to hope he can adapt and respond. And, by the way, you know, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for – for him just as sort of one of the few diverse managers who have taken a team to the world series and have a chance to win it. I think that's kind of cool. So given that I have no dog in this fight and I don't really like either team, you know, I, I guess I'm rooting for the Dodgers and I think they'll pull it out in seven. Yeah. I think that Dave Roberts, uh, potentially winning, uh, I think the second, uh, World Series by uh, African-American coach for the first time, like, I don't remember how many years it was. I want to say it was, like, 25, but I could be off there. Uh, Dr. Miles, let's get your pick in right before we end end the show. Okay, I'll make it really fast. Um, I I agree with Dan. It's going to go seven games. I think the Dodgers will pull it out uh, for all the reasons mentioned um, and I just want to say this very quickly. Hugh Darvish was coached by uh, Maddox, and Hugh Darvish is a name that's been floated out there as potentially somebody the Cardinals should consider in the offseason. Well, I think that is a very good point, and I think that, you know, it's always good to have these connections, and any additional connections we can get like that is absolutely perfect. Uh, for me, I'm going Astros and seven. I really like the team they built, and I think ending the SI curse would be incredible. With that, I'm going to wrap things up. Thank you for everyone for listening, and please continue to listen to us and read our.